what do we do with this now? <laughs> so we learned that uh, you need a lot of skill and wisdom and God's help in raising our children. And I'd like all the fathers to stand right now. Fathers, would you stand? We honor you, we love you, we respect you. Thank you. Uh, I, I'm having to reinvent myself as a father a little bit. Uh, most of you know that uh, my youngest son, Ben, um, got on drugs, and he's now in prison. And uh, I'm having to learn to be a father of a son in prison. And um, he wrote me a letter and said, I can't read it till Father's Day, and it's to this church. Because a lot of you have been praying for him and have written him letters. He said, Dad, what do I do? I said, well, they're not expecting you to write everyone back. He said, well, can I write a letter to the church? And, and I said, sure. So he sent it today, and I'm going to read this to you. To the congregation of Old North Church, first of all, I'd like to thank you all for your prayers and for those of you who took the time to write to me. They are much appreciated, needed, and a great encouragement. It's just like I was right there visiting you again. Even when no one knew who I was, I never felt so welcome. And you just can't feel that you can just feel the tenderness of care and love when you walk into your building. Believe it or not, I see this as a blessing in disguise, sitting in a place where you have ample time to contemplate and reflect. I finally realized how selfish I was being, only caring about me, myself, and I, and drugs not caring or realizing how my decisions were affecting my future. It took losing my car, my job, my girlfriend, becoming homeless and ending up in prison to finally wake up. Only now realizing that the entire time God was doing things and putting people in my life to avoid all of this. But I was too busy looking at myself instead of towards the Lord. Kind of like Peter walking on water as long as he focused on Christ, he was okay, but as soon as he looked to himself and his weakness, he began to sink. Funny thing is I was pondering over my many mistakes, faults, and weaknesses, and my cellmate handed me this Bible, and it said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, to keep from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Weird how God sends you messages sometimes just as long as your eyes and ears are open and waiting for him. I can't let what I've done define who I'm becoming. Doesn't mean I'm not learning from it or will forget it. But it's time for the old to die and become uh, become anew. A couple weeks ago, one of my father's friends, a priest, sent me his book called Be a Man, Becoming the Man God uh, Created You to Be. In it, he wrote, Ben, know that you are God's beloved son. Spend time with Mark 111 until you get it. Peace, Father Larry. Well, after the verse my cellmate gave me, spending time in prayer and in the Bible, and while writing this letter, I'm finally starting to get it. Yes, we all have earthly fathers that we should love and honor, but there is only one true father, and that is God. 
and for some reason, no matter how bad we mess things up, he still loves us and is always waiting for us with open arms. My life is finally beginning, and it feels great. Still a lot of fixing, mending, and progress to be made, so keep on praying. It is very much needed. Thank you again for your support. Sincerely, Ben. You know, Marie and I, she's here today with me. Uh, we needed a family because we left our family back at Grace in Erie, and you've become family for us, and we're so grateful. And so at this point, uh, I'm learning to be a, a father in a new sense, and I don't know where you are, dads, but some of you, I think, need to be prayed for as well, and I'm going to come to the front. I want fathers who feel like they want to be prayed for to come. I've asked Sarah Drombetta to come and pray for the fathers who would like to have some prayer right now. And so if you want to join me, fathers, anybody who says, hey, this is a big challenge. I need God to help me, and, uh, and uh, maybe there's something that he just needs to, to support you on. Fathers, whoever wants to join me right now at the front, Sarah's going to pray. So thankful for all of the men standing um, in front of me. It's a great privilege to pray for all of you today. Um, so let's go to our Heavenly Father. Father in heaven, we are so thankful that you are so perfect and you love us so wonderfully. You love us perfectly through your son. Um, you, you gave him to us when we did not deserve it. We still don't deserve it, but you have given him to us and we are so thankful for that, Lord. I'm thankful for this group of men that stand in front of me. I'm thankful for all the fathers here in our church that are, that are represented that may not be standing in front of me, Lord. As a wife, I know the great responsibility. I see that um, in my own husband as he fathers our children. And so I pray today that the weight that they bear, Lord, that it would not be a heavy weight, that it would be a light, joyful, task that you've given them, Lord. I pray that they would look to you for guidance, uh, knowing that you are right there with them, that you are indeed a father that loves them and is showing them and still teaching them, Lord, and that as their children grow and their needs change, that you are there to grow with them, Lord. And I pray that uh, today would just be a special day for all of them, that they would feel your love in a different way, Lord, maybe in the way that they need right now, that you would meet the needs that are uh, in front of them, Lord. Specifically, I think of Pastor Al, Lord, that, that as he loves in a new way, uh, loves as a father differently, Lord, that you would teach him that. And we know that you are the giver of all good things. Uh, and we, I specifically pray that for him today, Lord. I pray that you would bless these men and their families here represented. And we just thank you again for the gift of your son, Jesus. And it's his, in his name we pray. Amen. Well, 
I got a text this morning from my son in Virginia, happy Father's Day, and I texted him back, he's also a father, happy Father's Day, and uh, I, I just can't believe it's Father's Day already, I mean, it was just Mother's Day, wasn't it? So where is the summer going? Lord have mercy, I'm not ready for winter quite yet again, but it's going fast, but Father's uh, is just a great thing that God has made in this world, and I, I just am, am grateful to be one. But I realize that some of us don't have great relationships while others do. My father and I had a wonderful relationship. And uh, uh, he and I got along so well. And uh, uh, there were times he bugged the heck out of me, but I got over that. And uh, when I became an adult and a pastor, my father was my greatest cheerleader in my life. He was so proud of me. And now it's been 20 years ago since I bought my father his last card. For you see... One Valentine's Day, 1995, and I'm a sentimental guy. I, I have every letter and card I ever gave my wife and she gave me. We have that down in the basement. And so it was 1995, Valentine's Day, and I got the bright idea to go down in the basement and to find the very first card I ever gave her. And that had been 25 years earlier at that point. And so I went down and I looked and I looked and I looked and if you'd see my part of the basement, you'd understand why it took me 45 minutes to find that card. But I finally found that card and I came upstairs and, I, and my wife was in the kitchen, Marie, and, and I came up behind her and I put my arms around her. She was right here and I showed her that I said, recognize this card? And she said, yeah. She said, that's the first card you ever gave me. I said, yeah. And then I said some nice romantic things, it's none of your business. <laughs> and we talked for a while and then... Uh, I began to say this to her in her ear from behind. I said, God has blessed us so incredibly for 25 years. We've had a wonderful marriage and a wonderful church, and God has given us four beautiful children, and we're happy and healthy. We're not wealthy, but we're not lacking anything, and we have our parents, all four of our parents. And then I went on. But the next 25 years won't end the same way. We don't know if God will take one of us, and we don't know what might happen to our children, and some of our parents will likely die. Now, that's real romantic stuff on Valentine's Day, isn't it? But that's what I said. The next day, I was sitting in my study, getting ready for the next sermon. When the door opened, and there was the, the face of my wife and one of my uh, associate pastors, and I knew in an instant something was wrong. And I said, they didn't say a word. I said, is it one of my children? And she shook her head. I said, is it my father? And she shook her head. And immediately I knew something was wrong. And my father had been killed that day in a car truck accident. And I lost all my strength. And I went right down to my knees. And I began to cry like Joseph cried when he revealed himself to his brothers in Genesis chapter 45. And my father had been killed. And the one thing that went through our minds was that prophecy-like statement that I had made within 24 hours before that maybe things would be different in the next 25 years and we don't believe we'll have all of our parents. And my father was gone. I had a great relationship with him. And it's still one of those painful things to realize he's gone, although he's in a much better place. But I had the privilege of a great relationship. But I know there are lots of people that don't have that relationship with their fathers. Their fathers have hurt them in some way. Their fathers have been aloof or whatever it might be. And today it's more or less a painful situation. And so what I decided to do. 
because there's such a variety of relationships in this room, is to talk today about our Heavenly Father, our Father who loves us from heaven. And so I want to come off of a statement that Jesus made as the basic bedrock for my sermon today. And Jesus said this in John chapter 8 and verse 29. Right out of his mouth, he said, I only do the things that please my Father. What an incredible statement. Jesus lived his life on earth to please his Father. And what a great thing it would be if every one of us could say in Old North Church, I live my life that everything I do, the only thing I want to do is please my Heavenly Father. So here's the big idea. Each day, we need to do the things that please our Heavenly Father. You know, the Father is pleasable. And we can please Him if we are serious about it. So the reality is that we can choose to please the Father. Now, we live basically life in one of three categories. We can please ourselves, we can please others, or we can please God. And often we invert that. Somehow we live to please ourselves or please others, and the last place comes in is the Father. But we need to invert that order. We need to learn to please God, to please others, and then to please ourselves. And some of you know that acrostic joy stands for Jesus, others, and you. And that is the way we ought to live our lives. And that's how Jesus lived his. That the only thing he did in life was to live in such a way as to please his heavenly father. John 8 is such a beautiful chapter. So rich of the word Father. And I wish that somehow you could read that even today. That incredible relationship that Jesus had with his Father. And that relationship presents such a good model for us as we try to please our Heavenly Father. Now, if you don't have a personal relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ, you cannot please him. And that's where this whole thing starts. That we come into a personal relationship with Christ, we realize that we are separated from God because of our sins and that we need him as our personal savior. And when we give our hearts to him, he forgives us our sins and we become a son, a daughter of the living father. And that has to happen. So assuming that that has happened, how do we please our heavenly father? And there are six ways I want to share with you right out of the scriptures that we can please our heavenly father. Way one is attention, and I want you to re repeat this after me. Ready? Attention. Yes, each one I want you to repeat after me. He loves attention. One of the things I've learned about married women is that they love attention. They love to know that they are number one to their husband. They don't want to be in competition. They don't want to be in competition with a hobby or with work or any other thing. They want to be the focus of their husband's love and affection. And they don't want to feel like they're in competition with anything else in the world. The same thing is true with the father. He wants to know that he is number one. That he is not in competition. And so the apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 32 through 35, that the Lord is looking for our undistracted devotion. And he says in verse 32 that when you're single, you're more likely to be able to give that undivided attention to the Father. 
But he says in verse 35, when you're married, you have to divide your affections and your attention. Now, he's not saying that you shouldn't get married. That's where he was. He wasn't married. He was just making a point that when you are married, you have a whole lot more to be worried about. And sometimes you cannot give that full devotion that the father wants. So you have to work harder at it. Paul puts it this way in 2 Timothy 2.4. No active soldier entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And one of the things that can happen in this life is that the things of this world become so big to us that the Father doesn't have our full affection and attention and what he wants more than anything else is for us to come in his direction every day. That's why it is so important to be in the word every day. It focuses our attention on him. That's why it's so important to give yourself a diet of good Christian music because if you don't, you're going to be in all other kinds of entertainment that will take you away from God. And so he wants us to focus on him. And when we focus on him and our attention is on him, it pleases the Father. So you have to ask yourself, where am I dwelling? Do I dwell in the affairs of this life and its worries and concerns and all those things? Or am I dwelling on the Father in my basic emphases? Well, here's the second way we can please Father. Not just by our attention, but by our obedience. Repeat that after me. Obedience. Yes, he is pleased when we obey him. As I read earlier, Jesus said in John 8, 29 that he only always does the things that please the Father. A remarkable statement. Because he was saying, I always obey my Father. And when I do the things he wants me to do, then he is pleased. And so John 4.34 says, when Jesus said, my, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And again, Jesus said in John chapter 5 and verse 30, I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And Jesus lived his life in total obedience to the Father. And so that needs to be our goal, is to obey the word of God, to obey the things that he has put before us to show the Father how much we love him to do his will. So I asked the question, how do we know the things that please the Father so we can do it? How do we know what he wants us to do so he can be pleased? And the only answer I know is that we need to know the word of God well enough to see what he wants us to do and then do it. And those of you who do not get into the word are not going to know what the Father wants. We aren't going to be able to obey him. But we get into the word of God and he reduced all of the Old Testament commandments, 613 of them, down to two. To love God and to love others. And so it's not that big of a deal to learn how to obey him and please him. And so this book needs to become a vital, a vital source of how we train ourselves to obey God. Now speaking of training ourselves to obey God, there's two basic ways out of many, but two basic ways I want to share with you that you can train yourself to obey God. The first is to those who are still living at home, who are still in the nest. If you are living at home, number one, is you need to obey your parents. Sounds very familiar in Paul's teaching, doesn't it? In Colossians and Ephesians. You see, it is God's will for children to obey their parents, to obey their father. 
Because that not only makes things easier and more livable in the home, it trains children for 18 years. If you can learn to obey your parents, you learn to obey who? God. It is a training ground for 18 years to learn to obey the Father in heaven by learning to follow his command to obey your parents on earth. Well, what about those of us who are grown up? Then how do we keep obeying the Lord? Number two, then, it's not just about obeying your parents if you're in the home. Number two is each day commit yourself to obeying God. When you get up in the morning and you look at yourself in the mirror, and you wonder who that person is and what happened overnight. Then you need to say, Lord, today I'm going to commit my whole day to obeying you. And what I want to do from the day I walk away from, or from the moment I walk away from this mirror until I lay my head down on that pillow tonight, I want to be obedient to you today. And so it is possible to obey the Lord. And when we obey the Lord, we please him. And that needs to be our life purpose, to obey the Lord in everything. In fact, the Lord, it was spoken of the Lord in Philippians chapter 2, that he was obedient to the Father even to the point of death. And I'm wondering sometimes how far we're willing to go in obedience. He was willing to go to the end, are we? Well, let's continue on. Do you want to please God? Well, you give him attention, you obey him. Here's the third way. Holiness. Would you repeat that after me? Holiness. This is a word we don't hear too much today in the church. Very few people are talking about holiness. But I want you to know that's a huge word for God. In the Old Testament, he says to his people, be holy, for I am holy. He would get to the New Testament, he says, be holy, for I am holy. And he calls us out of this world to be different from this world and to be like him. And so in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 15, it says, but like the holy one who called you, be holy in all your behavior. Holiness is about our lifestyle. It's about how we behave in life. And when we are holy, we do the kinds of things that God would do. When we are unholy, we violate the commands of the Bible. We conform to the behavioral standards of this world, and we cater to the flesh. That's unholiness. So Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1, We request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus, that as you have received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk, that's holiness, and please the Lord, that you may excel more. And Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10 in the same way. So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects. This is important stuff. And we need to know that God is pleased by a lifestyle that reflects the character and conduct of the Lord. Now, I don't want to sound like a broken record. But I get up from time to time and say, it's just not happening in the church in America. The church is not that much different from the world around us. And George Barna, pollster, Christian pollster, keeps hammering home the point. He says year after year in his surveys and polls, Christians aren't much different from the world. And many Christians don't live lives that reflect the transformation that ought to be in their life. And when we live like the world after we have been redeemed, it breaks the heart of God. 
And when, we're going, when are we going to realize that he is pleased when we reflect his character and his likeness in our lives with purity, character, integrity, wholesome speech, and proper conduct? If I could change one thing in the world, in the Christian world, it would be that I would shake the church hard enough to say, do you realize that he has called us to holy living and when we are like him, God is pleased most. One night I was in a small group, our small group in our host home back in Erie. I've been in a small group there for maybe eight or nine years and happened to observe in this host home these words. And this is the heart of what I'm talking about, of what pleases the Lord. On the wall it said, we will not listen to music, watch videos, TV programs, or movies, or read literature that promotes, romanticizes, or otherwise causes us to think evil thoughts as defined by Jesus in Mark 7:21, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and foolishness. We recognize our responsibility to keep our minds and hearts by pure thinking on whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Philippians 4, 8. Whoa. Wouldn't the church be transformed if we lived that way? And wouldn't the Father be pleased if his people were holy like he is holy? Well, let's move on to the fourth way that we can please the Father. It is through faith. Would you repeat that after me? Faith. Faith pleases the Father. And this is such a great one. The author of Hebrews in chapter 11, verse 6, picks it up this way. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. Faith pleases the Father. And when we trust him as children, he loves it. He's pleased. Now, faith and trust have been so hard for the people of God over the centuries. Why? Because we believe what we see. We don't like to believe in things we cannot see. We don't like to go in that direction. And so we respond to data that's observable around us. And we live more than anything else by what we can see. And the Father is saying, you need to move beyond what you can see to the certainty of what I have for you, even when you can't see it. And when you trust me that way, I am pleased. And so Hebrews chapter 11 is a demonstration chapter of person after person who couldn't see what God had called them to, but by faith believed that God would pull it off, and when he did, they were confirmed in their faith, and they ended up in this Hall of Faith chapter. I mean, maybe you remember some of these people. Noah. Who'd have thought that it would flood? It had never rained before, but he had to trust the Lord, and the Lord was, was pleased. Abraham. God said to Abraham, you get going to a place that you don't even know where you're going, and I will lead you each step of the way. And Abraham did that, and it pleased the Father. And Sarah. Sarah, you're 90, but you're going to have a baby. How many of you have ever seen a 90-year-old pregnant lady? Well, she didn't believe that could happen initially. She laughed. 
But then she believed and pleased the father. Moses, you won't die in Egypt. You will leave the, lead the people out into the promised land. And the list goes on and on. People who couldn't see the end, who believed God for the impossible, and it pleased the father. And so God is saying, if you live by what you can see, you don't need me. And that's what the Father is saying. You have to trust me for the obstacles of your life, away over the mountain, away through the water, when it looks like it is so impossible from a human point of view. And God says, when you can believe that I can do things that you can't do, that science can't do, that technology can't do, then I am pleased. And so I ask you, what are you doing today? in your life that you are trusting God for that seems so impossible? What are you believing God for? What are you believing that's beyond your ability to do, beyond somebody else's ability to take care of? What are you believing God for that only he can do? When I was a kid, we used to sing this chorus in church. And every once in a while, I run to it. Got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible. He does the things that others can't do. And I ask you today, how big is your God? If you think God is bigger than any mountain and anybody you've ever met, and that he can do what seems to be impossible, you are on the threshold of pleasing God. There's a fifth way that we please God. And this is one way we don't necessarily like too much, but it is the word sacrifices. Would you say that with me? Sacrifices. The Lord is pleased through sacrifice. Now, sacrifice in the Bible has a lot of meanings. And so we're not talking about the blood sacrifices here and those kinds of things. I'm talking about the act of offering up to God something that's very precious to him that we might have to sacrifice for ourselves. So we give God something, and we give up something, and God is pleased. Because you see, our culture is not a culture of sacrifice. Our culture is a culture of indulgence. We want more and more things for ourselves. We don't want to give things away at our own expense for the benefit of someone else. And the Lord is saying, if you are willing to give me certain things, give certain things away that maybe you'd like to keep, and you give them to me as a sacrifice, I am pleased. And so in Hebrews 13 and 15 and verse 16, that author identifies two ways that we can give sacrifices that the Lord loves. The first sacrifice in verse 15 says that God is pleased with a sacrifice of praise. A sacrifice of praise. What are we talking about? I mean, it is so easy. When we come to church, are we really sacrificing when we praise him with a praise song? I don't think so. We get to the place of sacrifices in praise when we thank God when things don't go right. And we say, God, you are in control. You are teaching me something. I'm going to give you thanks. I'm going to give you praise. Lord, you're awesome, even though I don't like the circumstances I am in. Now, my wife isn't usually here on the weekends like she is today. She has things to do in Erie. And she's probably saying, yeah, preach it, brother. We had bad weather on Thursday, and you were in the yard. Were you giving God a sacrifice of praise on Thursday? And the answer is, Marie, no, I 
I was not. See, this is something we've got to learn. And even when you're a senior pastor and you're living life, the same stuff comes at me that comes at you. And I was not in a mood to give a sacrifice of praise. And so my wife was the Holy Spirit to me that <laughs> day. And she says, hmm, let's talk this over, you know. So he is pleased when we are willing to give him a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving when things aren't going so well. He loves to hear us acknowledge that he is in charge, that he is sovereign, that he's working all things together, including the weather, after the good pleasure and counsel of his will. And we are such slow learners. Second sacrifice is in verse 60. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For with such sacrifices, the Lord is pleased. God loves it when we take what we have and give it up for somebody else in need. And have you ever been on the receiving end of that? When you needed something, someone gave something else up for you and you received it. It feels good to get something at the point of need. And God is saying, when you are willing to give somebody else what you have, give it up and make them feel good. Not only do you make them feel good, you make me, God, feel good. And so he is pleased with these sacrifices when we are willing to share what we have with others. And here's the bonus. God feels great when you give that sacrifice. And I want you to know that God has feelings. And God has feelings of joy and he has feelings of pain. He has feelings of hurt. And whenever we are willing to minister to somebody else, God is pleased. Well, there's one more way that we can please God. And there are other ways, of course, in the scripture, but I'm giving you six today. The last way is witnessing. Would you repeat that with me? witnessing. Now, what do I mean by this word? Well, the church is on a mission. The reason we are on earth is to reach people. Do you know that if we weren't here reaching people, we would be in heaven? Because the only thing we can do on earth that we can't do in heaven is to reach people. If in heaven uh, we were there, we could be singing and eating and learning and all those kinds of things. The one thing we can't do in heaven is to reach people. And so the mission of the church is to reach people. And last week, Pastor Chris was talking about shepherding and overseeing and those kinds of things. Remember that? Well, you know, I love to do shepherding. I love to do overseeing. But you know the thing that really thrills my heart? The thing that has kept me in the ministry for 40 years isn't all the shepherding and all the overseeing of the church. Quite frankly, that's a draining, hard thing. It really is. What has kept me on point is the realization that people are finding Christ and now I can shepherd newfound people. It's an awesome thing. And that's what thrills my heart. I don't know that I could have hung around for 40 years just following the sheep or leading the sheep or whatever. Just doing it. it is when we find the lost sheep, there is a thrill that comes with that. And likewise, that's the thrill the father gets. Because if you remember Luke chapter 15, he's talking there about three parables that define the heart of God. It is the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And what is the common emotion in those three parables? It is joy. When they find the son, when they find the coin, when they find the, um, the sheep, there's this all-encompassing joy that comes in heaven, it says, over just one sinner that repents. And when lost people are found, the father is incredibly Please. Now, please don't miss this. 
when you witness, when you tell someone the good news of Jesus Christ and eternal life, the Father is pleased. And 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21 says, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. And whenever we share the message of salvation, and especially when someone believes, the Father is pleased immeasurably. Now, I want you to hear a statistic, though. According to research conducted by the Rainier Group about a decade ago, it takes 85 church members a year to reach one person for Christ. 85 to reach one. Furthermore, the research shows that fewer than 15% of all church members shared their faith with someone. Crash. <laughs> well, that's a wake-up call. I saw some of you sleeping, and then this new sound system has a special button on the floor. Okay? So. <laughs> but 85% of all Christians have not shared their faith with somebody in the last 12 months. I hope those stats aren't true about Old North. Let's go five to one. Let's go almost everybody sharing their faith. That is what pleases the Lord. And nothing will touch the heart of God more than when his people are saying, I found the Lord, you can find him too. And that person comes and now the Father sees his kingdom grow. He loves it. Well, maybe we can't always please our earthly fathers. But I want to tell you, there isn't one of us here who cannot please our heavenly Father. And I've just given you six ways to please our Heavenly Father. Give Him mountains of attention. Obey Him every day. Live a holy life. Live a life of faith that you can believe that God specializes in the impossible. Have faith to go beyond what others do. Give Him sacrifices, things that you would give up that please Him. And finally, witness. In a way, I hesitate to share this with you because I don't want to give anybody an out. But I want to tell you about the mystery and the power of God's love. When you please him more, he does not love you more. And when you please him less, he does not love you less. I just want you to know that. So I don't want anybody to say, okay, I don't have to please him too much and he's still going to love me. No. I mean, I'm going to love my wife until the day I die. But I love her to please me even though, you know, she could say, well, if he's going to love me, I'm not going to please him. It is much better to please the one you love. And I can't imagine that we wouldn't give God all of our love and all of our affection and all of ourselves because of what he's done for us. But I just want you to know his love is absolutely incredible. Now I think God put it in the hearts of kids to want to please their fathers and to make their fathers happy. And I think the fathers want to be proud of their children. And I think along the way, every child, every son, every daughter wants to hear from their father, son, daughter, I love you, I'm proud of you, you're doing well, I'm pleased with you. And I believe that for a healthy father-child relationship, there needs to be this back and forth cycle. The child pleases the father, and the father says, I am well pleased in you. And wasn't that the cycle of the father and the son? The Lord said, I only do the things that please the father. And remember, on two occasions, at least the father said from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So healthy. And so as I close today, I want you to know that pleasing God is what makes life worth living.
Pleasing God is what makes life worth living. And that's what I want for me. I want to please the Father. That's what I want for you. So church, when we leave here today, would you think again what Jesus said? And would you make that your goal? I only do the things that please the Father. Let's always try to do the things that please the Father. And may he see how much joy we have and how much joy he has when we do that. And so would you bow your heads with me in prayer. Father, thank you that you told us in your word what pleases you. You didn't leave it to guess. You didn't leave it to notion. And I pray, Father, that these six things that we talked about today directly from your, your word, using the words please in them, that every day we would want to do the things that please you. Thank you, Father, for putting up with us when we do less. But, Lord, thank you that you love us just the same. And because that love is such a phenomenal love, may it inspire us to do more and more the things that actually do please you. And I pray this in the name of Christ.